T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Chris Harrington on 92.9's Jeff Calkins Show. Chris Harrington joins us now. Chris, what are we listening to? That's uh, Let's Hear It For The Boy by Denise Williams. The best song on the Footloose movie soundtrack. Um, For some reason, that's the song that popped in my head when I was thinking about Gigi Jackson last night. And so, sending that out to Gigi Jackson. You're not getting not a Kenny Loggins guy. Not not as much. No, I'm more. Give me the Denise Williams throwback to '60s film group kind of stuff. I just used to always admire Kenny Loggins going from like kind of like I don't know what would you call it like country western folk singer songwriter to like '80s power rock movie guy. I, that was a pivot that I don't I don't feel like we see that often. Yeah, the whole, like, it was sort of like that soft, like, L.A., like, roots rock, soft rocky kind of stuff he did with Loggins and Athena yeah. in the 70s. He, he he adapted with the times, Kenny Loggins did. That he did. Grizzlies win last night, as you mentioned. Gigi Jackson, really the, the story. I kind of thought an underrated moment because I think everyone got wrapped up in, in the actual play, which seems prudent. Did you happen to get a glimpse of when they were trying to, like, close the wound on his hand? No, I, I, I did not have a good view of that from my, from my vantage point in the arena, but I did, I did, I did hear that he sort of reacted as, as, as some might when you, you, it stings a little bit, right? It looks like the—do you remember the first time you ever put hydrogen peroxide on a wound and you're like, what the hell is this? It, 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 he, right. he had that same look on his face. He is, he, he is frequently surprised by things. That, that has been true of Gigi Jackson this season. Uh, the, the, the Gigi Jackson look of surprise has, 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 become a, has been a thing. Obviously, he has the big night last night. This is kind of where I want to discuss with you. Obviously, everyone's excited because, let's be real, this isn't, there's not a ton to get excited about right now. It, it's, it's a lost season. You're trying to really just push fast forward. But they still got to play games, and you still got to look for things. As you look at Gigi right now, what is the proper context for for what he is as a basketball player? You know, I, I think there's such a range of opinion on him. I, I know or know of certainly many people on social media, but others who are who are way who I'm more cautious than who are way ahead of me on what what they think he is and is going to be and when they think he's going to be it. I know other people who I who are more who are who are more cautious than me who who are like wait a minute you know he shot thirty percent from three in in the, in the G League and like it's kind of he shot well last night if you look at over the past few weeks it's sort of been down a little bit too 
I, I, I think he is very talented. I think he is already obviously. It's what you got to be a little bit careful because it's in the context of the way the of what the games mean at this point for the Grizzlies and who he's playing with and the opportunities he's getting. Like we've seen mirages before, you know, the Mark Brooks mirage or whatever. I think this is a little different given his given given his age. Um, I think he's very talented. I think he's clearly a very talented scorer. I, you know, he can certainly exceed like the cautious expectations I would put on him. But I still see it as a multi-year process with ups and downs along the way. Like I don't think he's going to be averaging 17 points a game for the Grizzlies next season. In your mind, is this idea that he could be a star? I don't want to use superstar, but I mean, I guess let's say all-star caliber player. Who knows if he ever makes an all-star yeah. game? If he does, that yeah. is that is you know that's a heck of an accomplishment for someone drafted in the second round where he was. Is that in the realm of possibility? Yeah, no, I think yes. You know, can 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 you envision him being a starting small forward, averaging twenty plus points a game and like grabbing rebounds and like blocking some shots? And you know, we'll see if the passing comes along or whatever. I I, I guess I, I think it's very easy to see that developing, uh, and maybe in short order. And so the idea of Gigi Jackson as a quality starting forward in the NBA, potentially an All Star level forward in the NBA. I that would not be remotely surprising to me if that became the case. If you if you were to think about next year, obviously there's still 28 games to go this year. But I think what I've really struggled with is trying to put it into context because I'm much like you. I I I'm in the camp of if you want to get excited, by all means get excited. But I. I I don't know. I feel like I'm just not quite there yet. I think probably primarily because I don't really view this as a realistic reality. Like this is to me like this is hopefully a one-off and this is not a good basketball team and you know what I mean like we've seen guys put up big numbers on bad basketball teams. If you were to look at next year from what you know now what do you think? What do you think his role is? Um, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh man, like somewhere there, right? Sort of back into the rotation, with the idea that like it might, you know, it, there may be more Marco Polo with him than other players. You know, there may be some nights where like you know he's got it going and he plays the sixth most minutes and or fifth most minutes and gets you twenty points. There may be other nights where like he plays five minutes in the first half and it's not really working out. And you don't see him again, like. I feel like it's more that kind of thing as opposed to like a, you know, a Vince Williams, Brandon Clark, if he's back healthy, Luke Kennard, if he's back with the team, I think, you know, Marcus Smart, I think those are the guys who got, you know, double digit minutes every night that they're healthy. I, 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 what I've said with Gigi Jackson is if I'm the Grizzlies, I want a team where I'm not depending on him to be a key player, but he has the, the, the ability to make himself a key player if he earns it. And that's sort of where I want to be with him. I am not planning on him as one of my top eight players, but, I will, but I'll be very happy if he becomes one of my top eight players. Something similar to like what Zaire's rookie year was? Is that kind of a fair idea? Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I think he could be better than that because I think Zaire's rookie year was a little overrated in Memphis. But, but yeah, and they ended up starting Zaire because of injury stuff. But, like, you know, I mean, maybe not too much like what Santi Aldama was last season. You know, yeah. I mean, Santi sort of was in that role, sort of like eighth, ninth guy, mostly in the rotation, but it's not someone they were really depending on to be one of their core guys. 
so yeah, something like that, like a back end of the rotation with, with, with upside, you know? What gives you a little caution? Um, why? Well, I, I, I think there's the youth. I think there's the, there's the, how good are you going to be when the focus is less on your scoring? Because John Moran and Desmond Bain and these guys are out there. It's not just said that he's only doing that. He's hitting the boards pretty well. He had three yeah. blocks last night. So I don't want to make it sound like he only he's only a scorer. But he is primarily a scorer. Like, I don't think he, he, he doesn't. He, he, unlike, say, Marcus Barker, Vince Williams, like, those guys, like, they may give you scoring or they may not. But that's not what they're mainly there for. I, I, I think that is, like, the number one skill set that, that Gigi Jackson has, which is why the upside's so high. Um and then, you know, at some point, it's the newness wears off. You know, you're on the scouting reports. The teams are used to you. You're dealing with the grind of an 82-game season. And, like, I just think I think it should be expected for young players to have ups and downs and peaks and valleys. And, I, I you know, I, it's not going to surprise me or concern me when that happens with him. And, obviously, you can point to the off-court stuff, the maturity stuff, all of that. I'm just not at the point where I'm I'm really worked up about that. Yeah, I mean, I, Jeff asked me today. I was like, I don't know, like a three out of ten in terms of like, I'm, I, it's not a zero. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's reasonable. It's not. It's clearly not a zero, but at the same time, like I, I don't know. I, I I've not. It, 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 it comes across very much, and I again, I want to be clear. I do not know what the specific infractions have been with him that he's gotten fined and then you know doctor game for. But it really comes across like, you know, the college kid who's, like, not showing up to class every day. Yes. Not the college kid who's, like, you know, stealing computers from the computer lab, you know? Like, there's yes. different sort of levels of stuff where you're just trying to get him to, like, you know, ease his way into professional adulthood a little bit and, like, you know, make that transition. Um, you know, he said last night, like, I don't want to make any excuse. People are probably tired of hearing it. He is the youngest player in the whole NBA. Like, that, that, is, that is a thing. And he is not like an old soul. Like he, he seems younger than he even is, even as the youngest player in the league. No, I mean to me, like again, not reporting. I am just where my brain went when I I saw that, and then you you factor in the uh, you know I've been fined four times. It just struck me as like, oh, that's like either missing a team activity or showing up late for team activities. It seemed to me like it was you know. It sounds like something in that general universe. Right. You know, like it's, I don't know, you, you had X amount of detentions and eventually you wind up getting in school suspension. Like that, that, that right. to me, like that's what it, it struck me as. And I think if it was something more serious, there probably would have been something different. But it is fair to say right now, right, that you would expect Vince Williams Jr. is going to have a bigger role on next year's team than Gigi would, at least to start the season. Who knows where it goes? Yeah, I think Gigi can certainly earn his way above Vince, but Vince is just solid. I was talking about this to somebody last night. Vince is just always good. Even when he's bad, he's good. Like last night he shot what, one of six. Like he had this terrible shooting game, and he's grabbing, he had like, you know, I don't make enough numbers, but something like this, like eight rebounds and, yes. seven, and seven assists and yep. three steals and a block and made the big steal in the baseline play that basically sealed the game and, like, is playing good defense in ways that don't show up in the box score and like I you know I don't know what I don't know what to say anymore like he's just he's just a really good player who helps you win all the time and so like just play that dude obviously he's playing thirty plus thirty plus minutes even with everybody else obviously there's always going to be like some type of link comparison to Dylan Brooks you know what I mean like his yeah. you know just position whatnot tonight or last night I beg your pardon to me like that was the 
striking difference to me. Like, you could see it on the floor playing out in real time. It's like, yeah, Vince was not shooting the basketball well, but it was one of six. Dylan didn't shoot the basketball. Well, it's five of 17. Like, to me, like, that was the key difference of kind of how I view, like, I don't know if Vince Williams will ever wind up being a quote-unquote better basketball player, having a better career, however you want to parse that, define that, than Dylan Brooks. But I can see a universe where Vince Williams is better for the Grizzlies than Dylan was the last year. Oh, I think I think one hundred percent. I think his defensive his defensive versatility and quality is at least close to Dylan. I don't know. It's, I don't think Vince can can scale up defensively the way Dylan can. Yeah. Or you've seen Dylan grow up Anthony Towns and some of those kind of guys. I don't think he is. I don't think I, so. I think he's a little bit less versatility, but I think he can scale down as well as Dylan, which is even more important for the Grizzlies in terms of guarding league guards. Um, he's a better passer than Dylan already. Um, he is probably not as good of a shot creator off the dribble, but you also don't want him to be. That's yeah, kind of the problem exactly, with Dylan. Yeah. You know, um, as a three point shooter, we'll see. I give that time. Dylan has good patches and bad patches, and Vince hasn't played enough to have the bad patches yet. I think th- those will come. But the other difference, in addition to like the willingness to take on a lower role and not hunt shots as much, which is key. But the other thing I just think is the most subtle thing that I think is so important for the way the Grizzlies are constructed. He is a way better rebounder than Dylan. Like, way, way, way better rebounder than Dylan. And I think when you look at the Grizzlies, you look at Jaron Jackson that's allergic to rebounds. You don't know who your center is going to be. Like, you've got to have rebounding on the floor, and I think that's a really sneaky attribute that's important that Vince Williams brings. How much concern is there for, you know, I guess, I mean, I, we, I hate when, like, you, you put terms, but it's like guarding the three in this league Going into like what we know about the Grizzlies now, Vince is long, but Vince isn't big. How much concern? Yep. And yeah, obviously, kind of the same thing with Marcus Smart. Like Marcus Smart can be long, but he's clearly not a big guy. How much of a concern is that as they head into that? When you say guarding the three, you mean the the small forward yeah, position? Yeah, yeah. Usually, yeah. whoever the no, yeah. I, I think it's an issue. I, I think though, I think Smart and Vince both have big long wingspans, and they're both physically strong. And I, I think that helps them like guard bigger than they are. Yeah, there's a difference between guarding bigger than you are and guarding like six nine dudes when you're six four or six two in Marcus Smart's case. So I think the Grizzlies. I think one a sneaky problem for the Grizzlies. It's not just the, the the center position they need to address, which they do. They have a general size problem. Like they're kind of small yes. in a lot of places. And I think that's what's an area where Gigi Jackson's development. He can be a more of a three than a four. Like he, he has good size for a three. He does not have good size for a four necessarily, but he's a he's a good size for a small forward. And so having a, a six eight guy on the wing who can actually play, I, I think is very beneficial. I think they they could use more you know more size generally to start filling out the rotation. Especially you know you add a center, hopefully a real center that 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 helps too. But you know if Gigi Jackson can, can be a part of the rotation and give you a, a six eight guy. And it'd be nice to have another guy like that. You got a couple on your roster who, in theory, are supposed to be that and that haven't panned out. And Zaire Williams and Jake Laravia. If not them, it'd be nice to have somebody else who has got you know plus positional size um, out there. Luke Kennard also not that big. Yeah, I mean, to me, like then I, but then I also start to wonder. It's like okay, if you look in the West, like I think this would probably be a bigger issue in the East, where it feels like 
there's obviously in the NBA now compared to like the 90s, there's way more spacing and, and whatnot. But it feels like the East has kind of embraced the the more like kind of something that resembles more of that where it's like the West is a little bit small. It feels like more teams go small in the West and it's a little more wide open. And so I'm sitting there going like, well, am I maybe making too big of a deal because there's not a prototypical a prototypical defender of the three. Like, I've just, I don't know, I've kind of weighed back and I, forth. Like, how big of an issue is that? Yeah, so I, I am not necessarily a believer believer in quote-unquote positional basketball. Like, right. I like point guards, and I like centers, and I like all that. But there's more utility with, like, you know, the, the switchable six eight six nine guy than anyone else. Like, you know, the third-best six one guard on your team won't play that much if everyone's healthy. The third-best six eight guy is going to play a lot. And so you, you can never have too many of those kind of players. And that's and Grizzlies don't have many of them who are good. Maybe one in Gigi Jackson. Um, that's why when you look at the draft pick, as much as like yes, they have to get a center this summer one way or another. If they're sitting on the board and they think the best player available is, and I'm throwing out names people may or may not know depending on how many how many mock drafts they're looking at. If they think the best player on the board is uh, you know Zachary Richichet from France or yeah. Matis Bazelis or Ron Holland or Cody Williams, these are all. You know, guys six eight to six ten, like you know, combo forward, big wing types. If they think one of those guys is the best player on the board, you don't say, "Well, we got Gigi Jackson. We don't need another one of those dudes." Because you always need another one of those dudes. Well, then I like started thinking about like, okay, if we get to the deadline next year and Gigi is continuing that trajectory and he's proving to be, you know, uh, I don't know, like quality starter. Does that give the Grizzlies the deadline or, you know, give the Grizzlies the flexibility of the deadline? Like maybe you do move off like a Marcus Smart or someone like that. Would that would that be a a realistic scenario in your mind? Yeah, I mean, you're really projecting out on that one. And so but 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 sure, you know, I, I, I think keep all options open. The more talent you have, the more options you have. You know, it's easier. It's easier to deal from strength when you like you have you have, you have a lot of good players than to deal from. Hey, does anybody want to give us anything for for Jake Laravian, Zaire Williams? That's a harder way to deal, right? Um, and so that's why, like you know, you want the draft pick to be as high as possible because it gives you more options. You know, even though there's not necessarily a player you're set on high in this draft, there's not like the perfect Grizzlies player sitting there at number two or whatever necessarily. But you just want the most talent and the most you know asset value you can. And to be able to work from that, that that place of strength, and so you know, I, I would say that was that would be a good problem if that happened. But it wouldn't even be a problem, you know. I mean, that that just give them stuff to work with. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule that out. The one I guess the one thing I would say is, if they want to try to win as big as possible next yeah. year and the year after, which they which they should be wanting to do, and after that too. But it looks focused now in the next two years. They're not like super young anymore, and in fact, their core I think is reaching. You know, Josh, Jaron, Death is reaching the stage where okay, you're old enough to win now. But the team, you know, it, like if you're flipping Marcus Smart, you know, for in, you know, for younger players, I, I think it is helpful to have, you know, two or three real veterans in your rotation, and they got rid of one in Stephen Adams, and so like I don't know how many. You know, I don't. I wouldn't want too much of my team to be, you know, Gigi Jackson and Vince Williams and a lottery pick this summer. Like, you need some veterans in the mix too if you really want to win. No, that's actually a very good point because it's like, okay, if you're going to use the example of flip Marcus Smart at the deadline, which I did, that would also imply that Marcus Smart's probably playing 
at least pretty well, right? If you're if you're going to consider that, and right. then that becomes a question of like, are you really going to well, give that up? And the main reason this is something that this is a, this I don't think people in Memphis have, got, have gotten this wrong a lot. But I've heard people outside of Memphis get this wrong a lot about the Marcus Smart thing. I've heard people say on national podcasts. You know, the Grizzlies traded for Marcus Smart to fill that void when Ja was out. And that is like 180% not true. The Grizzlies traded for Marcus Smart not for the first 20 games of the season. They traded for Marcus Smart because of the playoffs, which they're not going to get this year. And so the idea of, like, moving Marcus Smart, you know, at the deadline next year or never having him for a playoff run, the main reason they wanted Marcus Smart is because of what he can be for them in playoff basketball. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, Zaire returned to the lineup. I found myself thinking this, so I'll ask you the same question. Is there anything that Zaire can do in like this next 28 games to change your opinion? I mean, it's hard to imagine. It's hard, you know, when you're in year second half of year three, and there's there's like 20 something games left or whatever. I think I think it's it's under 30. I think it's 20. I think it's I think last night was 28 left, so 27 by my math. If I did that correctly, It's it's hard to imagine that a 20 game sample, 20 plus game sample, at the end of a lost season would tip the scales relative to the previous two and a half years of information, right? Like, I'm, I'm not I mean, saying this there's is, no I, this was like that. This is the classic. Like, I was thinking, like, there's, like, I realized, like, I, listen, I, I hope the best for him. It's like, I'm not, like, rooting against him, but I just found myself going, like, there's just nothing that could really change my opinion. And I was wondering, like, does that make me a bad person? Like, I don't know. Like, well, that was just kind of how well, I felt. Well, let me make a distinction here. There's a difference between changing your opinion and changing and changing the future. And so I'm not saying Zaire Williams can't become a good player in the future. But nothing he's going to do in the next 20 games is going to convince me he's going to be a good player in right. the future. Right? I, yeah, I just, you know. So, no. That's your answer. We're getting more looks at Santi and Jaron together. Is this just it's, a, it's is this hard, a lost year for Santi, too? It, it's been a disappointing year for Santi. He's been really erratic, I think. It's, but it's also... I just think the environmental circumstances, I think you can get a read on some individual talent stuff, like with, like with Vince and, and G.G. Jackson, but I think team construction, lineup construction stuff, it's just hard to get a read on anything just because you, you can say, well, what does it look like with Jared and Santi together? I'm like, well, I don't know. What does it look like with Jared and Santi together with John Brandt and Desmond Bain on the floor? Right. I, you know, I, I just don't. You know, what does it look like with Jordan Goodwin and John Conchor in the backcourt? I don't know. I mean, you, what, what does that mean, right? Well, I think this specific point you're making is why maybe I'm a little more cautious. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's not even necessarily skeptical. When I look at, like, what Gigi is doing, it's like, I've seen from Vince what I need to see. I'm ready to move on to, I want to see what he looks like with those guys. But, like, it's like with Gigi, it's like, I don't know. It's like, how does he quite fit, like, when, A, people are hunting him, like, whatnot. It's like... I need – it's just like this is such a difficult evaluation period because it feels like it's such an outlier for what you're attempting to evaluate, which is how how does how do these guys best fit in a two-year window that you're guaranteed to have Jaron, Dez, and Ja under contract and, and you're trying to win as big as possible. Like that's what's made this se- – you know, this, this whole evaluation period that we're all going through right now, that's what's made it difficult for me. Yeah, I mean the good news is G. Jackson is getting wrapped up on a cheap contract now for right. multiple years, so that so that takes the pressure off of like evaluation really at this point. So at this point, it's more about I think it's less evaluating him, unless you're planning for him to be like one of your starters next season, which I do not think they're doing. Um, and so if he's just going to be like you know 
a guy on your bench working his mix. way up. I, yeah. yeah. I think, you know, this is less about evaluation for the Grizzlies. Maybe it is for us partly. But it's less about evaluation of Gigi Jackson for the Grizzlies than development of Gigi Jackson. What percentage chance would you say there is for John Conchar being on the team next year? Well, he starts a three-year extension that's um, $19 million yeah. uh, next season, so I think pretty decent. I, I think, A, that, that may, makes him harder to trade, yeah. and B, that's, that's a lot of money to swallow. If you're trying to cut some, cut some salary next season, it's a lot easier to swallow Jake LaRavia or Utah Watanabe's player option if he takes it, or even Zaya Williams, and to swallow John Conchar. And so I don't. I just don't see you know nineteen million dollars getting swallowed by the Grizzlies. And the other thing is, like you know, it maybe it's tough money, but like Conchar is a guy who I'm fine. I, I wish the contract was lower, but I'm fine with him as the twelfth guy on the team. Right. Like I, I like him as a twelfth guy. Like right. you know, throw him out there, he'll run around, get some rebounds and whatever. You don't have to play him. I think that's fine. There's not a lot of drama about his development. He just is what he is. So I don't mind him on the team. I just wish they hadn't given him that extension. I was also thinking about this last night because um, I was watching. I was like, I, I knew they'd signed Jordan Goodwin. But prior to last night, if you would have been told you got to pick Jordan Goodwin out of a lineup of 10, could you have done no it? No way. No, I, nope. I told my wife, I go, that is, I, I had told her as I was watching the game, it's like, I've never seen him in my life. And like, I know he played in the the Boston game when, when the Grizzlies got beat by 40. I was like, you could have given me, you could have put 10 guys. I would have had a one in 10 chance. That's all I would have had. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I've seen him play in basketball games, but I would not have been able to pick him out of a lineup. That, that, that is for sure. Yeah. Is there anything more with Lamar Stevens than basically giving him an audition for other teams? <laughs> I mean, I, I think Lamar Stevens has been fun these last two games, and I think Mar- Lamar Stevens, like, is an NBA-level player. But it is funny the degree to which, like, you've never seen a guy play in your life, and he comes in, and he plays two good games off the bench. And you're like, we got to bring this guy back next season. Like, I've seen that. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think Taylor Jenkins seems to like him. Like, yeah, he was out there. Udall was not finishing that game. He's finished two games in a row. I think. Um, I, I think. I think he's mostly auditioning for for his in, for his in basketball playing future next season, which is probably not with the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I, I think he'd be a perfectly fine guy to have on a veteran's minimum contract on, on your team. The problem with the Grizzlies is they just got too much. They got too many players already under contract, and so there's, it's hard to even if they like him. Right, it's hard to see a path with him with the Grizzlies unless there are trades that really cleared out multiple players. But I think he's a totally reasonable guy to sign to a you know to sign to a low level deal and stick on your team for any team in the league. Why not? Yeah, no, I mean to me it's like I almost viewed it as. Sometimes you'll see this in NFL preseason where a guy's like they're keeping him on a roster in preseason so that he can audition for other teams. It's like that's kind of how I've just approached it. It's not. I, it's I not. Mean, you know, it it's nothing way. against him personally. It's just like that's just kind of how I view it. Put it, put it this way: Would you have, would you rather on your on your NBA basketball team next season have John Contar for six million or Lamar Stevens for two? That would be Lamar Stevens for two million. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the way to go. Um, were you stunned to read that uh, the the Warriors reached out about the possibility of adding LeBron? I was more surprised that got reported. I, I feel like that kind of conversation-y stuff just happens all the time uh-huh. in the NBA. 
just low-level back-channel conversation. Like, you know, it's sort of like you're not doing your job if you're not at least, like, you know, having casual phone calls and saying so with, like, you know, is you think Giannis would would, would want to come play with us? Yeah. You know, one of those kind of things. So I'm not surprised that that conversation happened. I'm not surprised that it it that it that it developed and, and ended the way it did. That all seems rational to me. I'm a little surprised that it got reported. I don't mind it getting reported, but I'm a little surprised to see it. So you want to you put a tinfoil hat on for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I am obviously a, a very big student of LeBron's uh, public relations strategies. I don't know if you've paid attention, but KD earlier this year was starting to say that I should be in the conversation with the GOAT. You know, not it's not a conversation oh, yeah. I care about, but I was sitting there, I was going, it doesn't really make sense to me that the Lakers would leak this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't really see wow. why. I guess you could make the argument for the Warriors. It makes sense just to be like, hey, we tried. But it still doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I can kind of see where LeBron would maybe maybe leak this. And it's A, it's like, hey, I could have left. I chose not to. Love me more. But also it's like, hey, I didn't take that cheap way out to Golden State just like okay. just like KD so- did. Okay, my ten my tenfold hat evaluation. Yes. I think your I think your your logic is is extremely sound in terms of the pecking order of of who had the most to gain or right. not gain from leaking the information. LeBron, then the Warriors, then the Lakers. My only my my only tinfoil hat counter or, or mm. conspiracy theorist over interpretation counter to that would be. Ramona Shelburne reported that. Shelburne's a great NBA reporter. I've met her. Um, seems like a very, very nice person. But she it's clear she is very tight with Jeannie, Jeannie Buss. If yeah. you read her stuff over the years, she seems to be very close to Jeannie Buss. And so often I look at, like, who's reporting. Yes, no, I did say Not only do I look at what's being, what's being leaked, I look at, look at who is being leaked to. And she, Ramona Shelburne tends more likely to report things from Lakers sides of things than, than, than Warriors, typically. So I would wonder about that. So someone, maybe as Mark pointed out, Ramona also has a good relationship with Daryl Morey, and Mark was trying to kind of weave, like, would a Morey be somehow involved? And I was like, ah, that that was like, ah, this is kind of where it falls apart. But that, that was just the fun stuff I was doing yesterday. Chris, we appreciate right. it, buddy. All right, thanks. That is Chris Harrington of The Daily Memphian. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.